So my brother Luke and I were both adopted as infants, and before we were adopted, we each spent about six months in foster care. And a few years later, when I was about five and my brother was about six, we were sitting at the dinner table one night, and Luke puts his fork down and he says, something's wrong with my name. And I look at him and I'm like, I know exactly how you feel. My mom and dad are just kind of sitting there like five-year-olds, six-year-olds, they don't know what they're talking about. And so they're not really focused on what we say until my brother says, my name, Luke, feels wrong, feels weird. Feels like something is wrong about my name. I think my name should be Michael. And I nod at him and I say, I agree. I think when people call me my name, it sounds so crazy. And I think my name should be Stephanie. And my mom and dad both start talking a million miles an hour. You know that crazy parent high-pitched voice when they're freaking out inside? They're doing that and they start talking right over the top of each other because apparently for those six months of our lives, when my brother was in foster care, his name was Michael and my name was Stephanie, but no one ever told us that. There is power in a name. There is power in what you are called. When you're called by a name, it does something. When I was a kid, my parents called me smart all the time. My dad would say stuff like, JL, you're the smartest kid in your class. You are just so intelligent. You are so focused. And I thought, yes, I am. And I grew up through elementary school, middle school, high school. And when I entered adulthood, my mother, God bless her soul, the hoarder, handed me a giant stack of report cards, every possible report card from kindergarten until my senior year of high school. And I thought, this is going to be fun. I can relive my genius years. And so I went straight to kindergarten where my dad said, JL, you're the top reader in your class. You're an incredible student. You're going to be so successful in school. And I found that I was significantly below average. And my teacher had legitimate concerns about holding me back. And I flipped to first grade and second grade and third grade. And I found out I wasn't very smart at all. But because my parents called me smart, I became smart. There's power in the name that you're called. There's power in what you say. And when someone calls you smart, consistently intelligent, consistently over and over and over again, those words actually have the power to create. And by the time I graduated high school, I was in the top of my class. And apparently it wasn't because I was naturally that smart. It was because there's power in the name. And friends, I'm here to tell you tonight that there is a name that is above every other name. And that name is the name of Jesus. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The name of Jesus is above every other name. And whatever is wrong with you, 
Whatever's broken within you is not bigger than what's right with Jesus. And right now, I want you to stop, like right here, like literally stop, and I want you to think about what is the most broken thing in your life right now. What's not working? What's keeping you up at night? What's stressing you out? What's dragging you down? I want you to just think about it for a moment, moment, and I want you to try to name it. What is it? In your own mind, what is the most broken thing in your life right now? Because if you can name it, his name is above it. Okay? So if you're struggling with depression and you can name it and it's depression, then Jesus' name is above depression. If your name is it's anxiety, then Jesus is above it. If it's anger, then his name is greater. If it's friend drama, then Jesus trumps it. If it's a divorce, then Jesus is bigger. If it's racism, then Jesus is your healer. If it's abuse, then Jesus can set you free. If you can name it, his name is greater. If you can name it, his name is above it. So it's important when you're freaking out inside to stop and put a name to what you're feeling. Put a name to what you're dealing with. Because if you can name it, Jesus can trump it. Don't let the devil hold you down in this mucky, I don't know what's wrong with me, I just feel messed up. No, call it out, name it, put a name to it because then Jesus will be above it. Whatever is wrong with you is not bigger than what is right with Jesus because at the name of Jesus, every broken thing in us has to bow. It has no choice but to submit to his name because there is no power, no force, no thing that can rival or defeat the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 in the Passion Translation says this, he has been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this verse highlights three realms that cannot rival the name of Jesus. And the first one we're going to look at is the demonic realm. The name of Jesus trumps the demonic realm. And what I want you to know is that no demons, no devil, no plot of hell, no weapon, no plot of the evil one, no temptation, no death, and no sin can stand up under the name of Jesus. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 8. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the past nor the future, nor any powers will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm here to make sure that you know that there is no devil or demon that can threaten Jesus or his plan or his purpose for your life because his name is greater and they are not rivals to him. There is no demon in all of hell that keeps Jesus awake at night and makes him wonder what he's gonna do to help you. The second realm that has no power over the name of Jesus is the earthly realm. The place that we live, everything we see, touch, and feel, the earthly realm, because there is no scheme of man 
no pursuit of popularity, no amount of money or fame or prestige, no amount of likes on Instagram, no celebrity, no school dance, no sport, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no thing that can measure up on this planet to the name of Jesus. And his name stands above all things in this realm that we can see, hear, touch, and feel. And that same verse in Romans 8 says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. Do you realize that everything you've ever seen, touched, or tasted is something in the realm of creation? You've never touched Never tasted, never seen anything outside of the realm of creation. And all of that cannot possibly separate us from the love of God expressed in Christ Jesus. It has to bow, it has to bend, it has to buckle to the will of God. So nothing in the demonic realm, nothing in the, in the earthly realm, and nothing in the heavenly realm can trump the name of Jesus. There is no angel, no force of good, no concept or ideal that is anywhere above the realm of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is sitting on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And what he's doing there in his throne is not drinking lemonades with some angel fanning him. He's on the throne next to God and he's interceding for us. That means he's passionately praying for you. He's sitting there passionately praying for God the Father and for your, to God the Father for your triumph, for your victory. Here's what it says. Romans 8, 34, a couple verses later, it says, who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So, who could, so how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph, for us to win? Jesus is praying for us. He's cheering for us. He's rooting for us right now to make the right choices about what really matters in this life. Philippians chapter one, it says, but what does it matter? The important thing is, and I just left this blank. I'll tell you in a little while what the Apostle Paul who wrote this verse for God, what the Apostle Paul said in that blank, what does it matter? The important thing is, and the Apostle Paul knew what was the important thing, but my question to you tonight is, what do you think is the important thing? What is the important thing in your life? Not what are you gonna say is the important thing because we're at 4640 conference and we all know the right answer is Jesus and that's what you say when you come to this awesome three-day kind of conference and we all get that because we want that to be what we finish this sentence with but not just what should we finish this sentence with but what is the important thing in our life. Because however you end that sentence in your heart will dictate the course of your life. If you end that sentence with, the important thing is if people like me. If that's how in the depths of your heart you truly end that sentence, then your joy and your happiness and your self-esteem and your everything in your future is pinned to whether or not people like you. If you in your mind say the important thing is if people like me, then you can only be happy if people like you. And if people don't like you, 
you will not be happy. If you end that sentence with the important thing is that everybody likes me, then the second someone doesn't like you, your heart breaks and you stop liking you. But if you end that same sentence, what does it matter? The important thing is that God loves me. Then people can like you or not like you. If the important thing is that God loves me, then even if people don't like you, then you can like you. If you end that sentence with, the important thing is sports. Then if you're on the field or the court or the course and you're winning, your team is winning or you're crushing it and you're dominating and you're having a good sport outing in that moment, then you can be happy. If you end that sentence with the important thing is sports and you're losing or you feel like you're having a bad game and you're not just representing yourself well in your sport, then you are not happy. You get to choose what you tie your joy to. And whatever you tie your joy to will go up and down and then your joy will go up and down. So if you tie your joy to sports, you win, you're happy, you lose, you're crushed. You're doing good, you're happy, you're messing up on the game, you're sad. What does it matter? The important thing is my comforts. There are people that live that as the anthem of their life. What does it matter? The important thing is that I feel comfortable. That I feel comfortable and if that's what we say, then when everything's easy and when everything's smooth and when everything's going our way and when it doesn't take that much effort, then we are happy. But if we say, no, 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 the important thing is calling, then all of a sudden we can be uncomfortable, we can be in prison, we can be beat up, we can be getting our world rocked, but it doesn't matter because the important thing is calling. The important thing is purpose. You see, what we put in that blank dictates the up and down and the direction of our life. And I'm looking for someone today that is no longer concerned with popular opinion or personal preference, but where you've come to the place in your life where you say, I want to know him and I want to make him known. I want real joy, joy that the world didn't give and joy that the world can't take away. I want true peace, peace that the world can't give and peace that the world can't take away. So what is the important thing? We get to choose. Incidentally, the apostle Paul said the important thing is Christ. Not because it was the right thing to fill in the blank with, but because it was the important thing to him. Because whatever we tie our joy to dictates our life. So if we tie our joy to how some kid at school treats us or thinks about us or feels about us, or maybe you tie your joy to this crazy girl on the bus, and on the first day on the bus, you looked at her one look and you saw, she's crazy. She's got crazy eyes. This chick's weird. And now three months into school, she's bullying you and she's pushing you and she's a jerk to you. And all of a sudden you're like, I can't be happy. Well, don't tie your joy to crazy girl. Tie your joy to Jesus. Tie your joy to something that's not gonna change. We can't determine our joy based on how much homework we have. 
We can't determine our joy based on what a teacher says in a given moment or whether our sibling is going to let us play our video game system. Come. We have to find something else. We have to find something else to fill in the blank, something else to put our hope in, something else to put our joy in. For me, it's praise. For me, it's praise to Jesus. It's lifting up the name of Jesus. It's knowing and believing that his name is greater than every other name. Not only does Jesus' name cause our enemies to bow, but Jesus knows how big and powerful his name is, and he gives us permission to name drop him. I don't know if you know what a name drop is, but a name drop's when you use someone else's name to get access. My little brother Chris is the king of name drop. He is constantly name dropping people. And a couple summers ago, I was in Wisconsin and we were fishing and it was a really crappy fishing day. We were out almost all day. It was hot, it was sunny, we had caught nothing. And my arms were just covered, my hands, I mean, were covered in just like worm slime. And I was like, this is not fun. And also we have no fish. And I was just annoyed. And so Chris began to pack up all our tackle and gather up all our poles and throw them in his SUVs. Like, come on, let's try one more place. And I was like, no, let's go to a restaurant and buy us some fish. I don't want to go fishing anymore, but I hop in his SUV because I didn't have my car. And, um, and we're going, and, all, and he goes down this gravel road, and there's a huge gate across the road. So I think, oh, okay, good. We're not going to go fishing here because it's a gated lake. But no, my little brother Chris Bajas off the gravel road into the woods, through all the people, all the trees. He's just like going crazy, getting all the way back to the road where he needs to go around the gate. And I'm going, Chris, what are you doing? Like, have you lost your mind? There's no trespassing signs everywhere. And you get the impression on this road or in the woods next to the road that if anyone catches you, they're gonna go crazy redneck on your head. And you're not gonna even have a chance to think about it. And so I'm like, Chris, we gotta get out of here. Chris, this is a horrible life choice. We cannot go fishing down on this private lake, but but Chris is just like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I know a guy. I know a guy. And I'm like, Chris, we cannot go on this lake. And all of a sudden, this crazy guy steps out of the woods, like right in front of the car. I mean, he looks like Uncle Jeffro. I'm talking bib overalls, flannel shirt, boom, right in front of the car. Chris hits the brakes. Stops just a couple feet in front of him. And I am convinced that Uncle Jeffro, crazy man, is about to pull a full-size shotgun out of his bibs and just go crazy on the SUV. But Chris leans his head out the window. He's like, hey man, I'm really not sure if we're in the right spot. And crazy guy goes, you're definitely not in the right spot, man. And he's just yelling, spitting, chew tobacco out the side of his mouth. The whole situation's getting out of control. And I'm like, I should get out of the car and reason with this gentleman and, and say nice things like I'm a pastor and I'm really sorry. We shouldn't be here. And Chris just goes for the name drop. He's like, oh yeah, my buddy Max, Max Kissinger said, come fish here sometime. He's got really good fish up here. And crazy guy goes, oh, yeah, Max Kissinger, huh? Apparently it's Kiss Lake, Kissinger. And he goes, come on in. Yeah, if Max sent you, no problem. 
And so we go fish on this private lake and catch ginormous fish and it was amazing. And I'm like, that's name drop people. And Jesus says, Jesus says, go ahead and name drop me because my name is greater and stronger and it moves mountains and it's more powerful. So whenever you're in a bind and there's something gating you, just name drop me and I'll get you around it and I'll get you through it. John 14 in the scripture says, Jesus is talking and he says, for I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it for you. Permission to name drop. Permission to use the name of the creator of the universe to open gates for you that were previously locked. That's what Jesus invites us to do. Name drop. And at the sound of the name of Jesus, demons scatter and strongholds fall and the most broken parts of our lives have to bow. And students, I don't know, I don't know what prison you're in and I don't know what chains you feel like you're wearing, but I do know that Jesus is greater, Jesus is higher and Jesus is stronger than it all. And whatever prison is holding on to you, Jesus invites you to name drop him because if you do, those prisons can't hold you and those chains can't keep you. Acts chapter 16 in the Bible records a story of the apostle Paul. And he's lived most of his life by this point and he's been preaching the gospel all along and he's teaching the name of Jesus and then suddenly the crowd turns on him and he's arrested and he's brought before a local judge and he's beaten, he and Silas, his sidekick, are beaten with rods. They're beaten with rods and then they're drugged to prison. And because the, the keeper of the prison has heard stories in recent years of miraculous escapes by Christ followers, he takes Paul and Silas and he puts them in the innermost part of the jail, wrapped in chains, and chains around their arms and chains around their feet, so they have no choice. Now remember, they just took an epic beating with a rod. So there are welts across the back of the Apostle Paul. And he does apparently what you're supposed to do at midnight in prison when you've just taken a beating. He begins to praise. Jesus, Jesus. And he begins to call on the name Jesus, of Jesus. Jesus. And I would imagine that the Apostle Paul doesn't have much strength left Jesus. at this moment. Jesus. His back's covered in welts. Jesus. Bleeding. Jesus. Skin hanging off. You make the darkness tremble. And he's in a dark, dirty prison. Jesus. Surrounded by rats. Jesus. And feces. And other prisoners. Silence, fear. But he begins to sing. Jesus. Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Because I think in this moment, Paul had zero left to give. He had zero left to give what people thought about him, what people said about him. 
And I challenge us to live in the same way, not for popularity, but for purpose. Refuse to need people to validate you. Because here's the truth, it doesn't matter what they think, it doesn't matter what they say, they don't have a heaven to put you in, and they don't have a hell to send you to, and they don't have a crown to crown you with, and they don't have whatever it is that you need, that you're looking for, do not go to them for comfort because they can't complete you. And the apostle Paul grabbed hold of this, and as he's in prison, and he's covered in welts and chains, he begins to praise, and his praise starts to get real. Because he knows the only one that can set him free. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, And the Bible doesn't tell us how long he praised. Maybe it was several hours, maybe it was a few minutes. All it tells us is that suddenly And so maybe Jesus was on the throne in heaven interceding for Paul and he looked down and he parted the clouds over Jerusalem and he saw Paul in prison for his namesake covered in welts and covered in bruises and he said you know what Paul I love you and I'm coming for you and those chains have got to fall and all of a sudden Jesus and the name of Jesus caused the prison doors to break and the chains to fall you may the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.